Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning services to you each and every week. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or just beginning to explore the Christian faith, we invite you to join us as we dive deep into the Word of God. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. I'm really thankful for this worship team. They do such a good job. Yeah. It's, it's so, and I could, I could highlight every single person that's a part of it. Lauren, who is on this end, she's one of our recent college graduates in the last year. Um, she now works as a nurse at one of the hospitals here in town, and um, I'm contemplating writing a note to her supervisor to make sure that she doesn't have to work nights and weekends on Sundays, because I love it when she sings. And we've got Savannah on the other end. She's part of the Worship Institute. Um, it's basically an internship program that lasts for a whole year, housed at Franklin Campus, but then servicing all of the regional campuses at well, with, with fantastic students who are called gifted worship leaders. I'm thankful for you guys, too. And, and I could, it would, it, how much time do y'all have? Like, are you good for, I don't know, eight, nine o'clock tonight? I could per- go person by person through the room and just express kind of that moment of gratitude, that, that thing that you're thankful for, the thing that really makes a day like today significant in all of our lives, but I won't. I'll go to the Bible instead, which you're like, hallelujah, that's a good thing. I do want to introduce you to something that was a staple in my life growing up. Um, it was the compartment plate. You guys have these? Super special? Y'all, I loved these things um, because it meant that the food that you put on your plate did not have to touch. Um, when we would go to the church that my grandfather pastored, they would have something called an all-day dinner on the grounds, and it meant that he would preach, and they would do music inside that morning, but then we would all move outside, and underneath willow trees, we would sit and have this big, fantastic food. It was a potluck. We don't do that since COVID-19 happened, but people would bring food from their home and put it on your plates, and I would be so thankful that the volunteer ministers in that church who organized the luncheon chose to buy these plates um, because it meant that I could safely put things in tiny little compartments and it would not have to touch. I was big time committed to not letting my food touch as a child. Now, some of y'all are still there, no judgment, um, but I've matured in these years. I can now do plates that don't have compartments and I can now eat my food after it has touched other food items on my plate. And sometimes, especially on a day like Thanksgiving, you want that perfectly curated bite where two or three things that just go well together end up on the fork at the exact same time in exactly the right ratios, and it just feels good. And then because of the chemical element of tryptophan, you go take a nap afterwards, and it's wonderful. I'm excited about this week, and I hope that you are too. What's your favorite dish? Think about that for a minute. Like, what are you just so excited about? Like, that thing that you can't wait to have when you get to wherever it is you're celebrating Thanksgiving this year. For me, as a child, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with the sweet potatoes. Several reasons. One, it was a vegetable, and I was not a fan. Um, two, it was a bunch of mixed up things mushed together, also not a fan. And it was basically, as a casserole, the equivalent of a bunch of foods touching, which, again, was not a good thing. Today, I would tell you, if you ask me, that it's my absolute favorite thing on the menu. And I'm a sweet potato fan regardless of how it's prepared. If you want to put the pecans and the brown sugar and the crunchy stuff on top, I'm there for it. If you want to put the marshmallows that are toasted to where they get, oh, I'm there for that. It doesn't really matter how you prepare it. I like as a kid, not so much, but I've matured to the level of where that has become one of my favorite things. 
This morning, as we dive into a couple of different texts, both from the old and the new, we're diving into the idea of growing to love and understand something. Growing to love and appreciate something. If you were in Acts chapter 17, and we're not going to go there, if you want to get a head start, we are going to land in First Thessalonians chapter 5. But it's in Acts chapter 17 that Paul the Apostle encountered the, the people of Thessalonica. His second missionary journey had taken him to a spot where he landed in that city. And verse 2 of Acts chapter 17 says that it was his custom when he got to any new town to go into the Jewish synagogue. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a, a leader in the community. People had understood who he was and his reputation often preceded him. So he would go into the place where the Jews gathered and he would begin to, to, to teach, reasoning from the scriptures and explaining that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. All the Jews had literally rejected him. He's explaining why that rejection was wrong, why the thing that they thought when they were little is not the thing that they should land on, but they could mature to believe and accept and understand and know that Jesus Christ was in fact the Savior. And many of the Jews in Thessalonica began to believe and the people who believed were so excited, and they actually offended the people who didn't believe. And so they created this whole riot situation where they, pulled the, they wanted to pull Paul and Silas out of the house that they were staying and arrest them in that moment. Like it was a, 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 a crazy, the officials were shouting. This is what they said, these men have caused trouble all over the world. These are troublemakers, and now they've come here. They are defying Caesar's decrees, and don't get me started on how funny that is. The Jews in the moment who were now appealing to the decrees of Caesar to help them in their rejection of Jesus. Historically and culturally and politically, we could go there and spend the next, I don't know, till 8 o'clock tonight talking about how crazy that was. But the Jews in the community are now so upset that Paul and Silas have come to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ being the Messiah. And now they're appealing to the decrees of Caesar saying that, well, now they think there's another king called Jesus. And the whole city was in turmoil. Like, I want us just to reckon. Like, we could do a Wednesday night Bible study for the next six weeks on, on the idea of when Jesus came to a community, when the message of the gospel came to the community, it was not all songs and celebrations. It was dangerous. It was difficult. It was hard. It was even ugly at times. And so then you land in the book of First Thessalonians. Arguably the first epistle written by the Apostle Paul that's recorded for us in Scripture. Maybe even the oldest book written down in the New Testament from the city of Corinth. He writes to those people that were reached in Thessalonica. He sends them this letter and he commends them at the start in chapter one. He's, he's excited because the message that was planted in, in Thessalonica now rang out around the whole community. And in fact, other people everywhere are now celebrating and receiving Jesus because of what's going on there. And it says that they, they turn from God, turn to God, not just from the way they used to believe, but from the idols that they had accepted and from worshiped. And so then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he closes out that book with these words. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. You got your cards this morning, and it just has, pl there's plenty of room for you to write so many different things that you're thankful for, but would you start with just the name of some humans in your life? 
just some people that have made a difference in who you are, some people that have pointed you to Jesus and helped you come back to Jesus, some people who even, if you continue in these words in verse 14, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Maybe, maybe you write down the name of a human that's urged you to pay attention to the Word of God who's reminded you who Jesus is in your life. Maybe it's somebody who's warned you because they, they, they lovingly spied something dangerous in your life or something difficult and disrespectful and, 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 and disruptive in your life. And, and so they, they encouraged you when you were disheartened. They helped you when you were weak. They were patient with you when you didn't deserve patience. There's probably more than one. But who's that human on your list? Who's that person who's just made that kind of next level point you to Jesus difference in your life? And it says in verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what's good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in. If you're a person who likes to underline things in your Bible or highlight things on the piece of paper or, or commit them to memory in your life, underline all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, Thanksgiving, we, we want to credit it back to the settlers at Plymouth, and we want to celebrate some sort of festival and feast that was had around a table between the people who moved here to inhabit the Americas and the people who already lived here inhabiting the Americas, and there are evidences and stories that are written down that some sort of thing like that occurred in our history, and there's also evidences that a lot of atrocities occurred in our history. And if you fast forward from the founding of this nation, like way past all those first presidents, and you get guys like Washington and Madison and others, like they had previously declared lots of different national days of thanksgiving. Like they had declared, hey, this particular day will be a day of fasting and feasting, of thanksgiving because we won a battle or because we celebrated a harvest or because something good had happened in our nation. But it wasn't until 1863 that we got an official federally recognized Thanksgiving holiday on what was to be the last Thursday in September eventually got moved to the fourth Thursday in Sept November. I don't even know what month we're talking about. <laughs> moved to the fourth Thursday in November. That's this week if you haven't already prepared. It wasn't until 1863. And if you know anything about history, you know that that was smack dab in the middle of a civil war when a woman who had been persistently like writing about and writing to President Lincoln and other officials saying we need a federally recognized national day of thanksgiving. She was the editor of, of the largest women's publication leading up to the Civil War. Her name was, I don't want to get it wrong in this moment, Sarah Josepha Hale. She's the lady who wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb if you're interested at all. Oh. And she might have been the most insistent and eventually the most effective protagonist against a government that refused to recognize nationally a day of thanks. And so she petitioned and said, we need this. 21 out of the states at this point had some sort of day of thanksgiving, but there was nothing federal to unite the country. And so Abraham Lincoln, in the middle of a war, 
in the middle of the most disunified moment in our nation's history, arguably, because we have a lot of disunifying moments even today. Don't get me started. Writes that we should have a day set aside to give thanks, to recognize, even in the midst of war, the things that we have to be thankful for. And so the holiday was declared. Maybe on your, on your card, write down something historic. Not just historic for, I don't know, our country or the world, but write down something historic for you. Something from your childhood. Something from six months ago. Something from three years ago. Something from a point in your life or a point in world or national history that you're just thankful for that in the middle of it, you can pause and recognize that in spite of difficulty, we do have a great deal to be thankful for. That verse in 1 Thessalonians rings so true for us because we should pray continually and we should be thankful in all circumstances. There's no passages of scripture that do us a bigger favor when it comes to being thankful in all circumstances than the psalms of lament. You know there's 150 psalms in Old Testament scripture. These, these songs that were set to music that could be sung out loud that would remind the nation of all the things that they had to be grateful for, their history that they had to celebrate, the, the obedient return that they needed to make before God, but then also these psalms of lament that poured out and cried out their heart to Almighty God to say, this world that we live in is not like it's supposed supposed to be, and me and my heart, I'm not like I'm supposed to be, and so I bring that before Almighty God, begging Almighty God, help me, Almighty God. Psalm 42 does that for us. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. It says, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. Where can I go and meet him? You know, at the beginning of this psalm, it says that it's a maskal for the sons of Korah, for the director of music. And that word masco is probably a musical term in this moment, and I don't know what that means, but I also know that it's a, a Hebrew word. It's used in the book of Amos, and what it means for us is wisdom, prudence, understanding. So here we get in the psalm of lament something that's like, I'm going to complain, I'm going to cry out, I'm going to tell you everything that's wrong in my life. It's a lament over things that aren't great within me. It's, a, it's an expression of the needs that I have, that becoming a very wise understanding and prudent thing to do. It says, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where's your God? I'm really thankful for so many of you in this room, and I know personally that many of you in this room have walked through deep, dark difficulties this year. I'm not going to announce it, don't freak out, like I'm not going to say what your deep, dark difficulty is this year, but I, but I know that there have been challenges. And I know that there have been difficulties. And I know that you know what it means in a way that maybe others don't for tears to be your food. You feast on them day and night because you're in agony over something or someone. And then it says in verse 4, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. When we lament, we remember. We remember what's wrong. We remember what could have been. We remember what should one day be. 
It says, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Like, you may ha- remember the day between you and God, everything was great. The day between you and your spouse, everything was great. The day between you and somebody else, everything was great. The day between you and even yourself internally, everything was great. You remember what that was like and you long for it again. When you lament, when you allow yourself to feel it, when you're not figuring out ways to numb it, when you allow yourself to go through it, it's an opportunity to remember. It says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. When we lament, we remember, but when we lament, we also request. We bring it before the Lord and we say, um, hand raised right over here. Can you see me in the back? I need you. Call on me. Help me. Pick me up. I need you. When we lament, when we bring those things to God, we're remembering how good he is, but we're also bringing him our requests. It says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan to the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. When we lament, we have hope restored. And it doesn't mean that things got better. It doesn't mean that problems went away. It doesn't mean that difficulty vanishes, but it means that our hope is restored not because of the circumstances that we're in, but because the object that we place our hope in, it's Jesus. It says, I say to God, my rock. Hey, hand raised, over here. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? I'm telling you over here that I got an issue. I'm telling you over here that I got a problem. I'm telling you over here that I'm trying my hardest to remember how good you are and to present my requests to you. And then it says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. For I will yet, in all circumstances, that's what Paul said. For I will yet, when things aren't cleaned up yet. For I will yet, when things aren't restored yet. For I will yet, when things aren't made right and whole and good yet. I will proclaim the goodnesses of my God and declare that my hope is in him. I hope you've written down the name of some human and maybe you're even going to find a way this week or even this day to tell him or her that you're super thankful and why. And I know and hope that you've written down some sort of history, some sort of thing that you continue to be thankful for in your life. Maybe it was the moment that you trusted Jesus Christ for salvation and stepped into waters like this so that you could publicly declare your faith in him through baptism. Maybe it was the day 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago that you got married or that your child was born or that you got to watch them go off into the future with college and some kind of job and some kind of declarative hope that Jesus Christ is also their savior. What is that historic event? What is that personal one? And what is that previous one? Like, what are you just thankful for? Whether it's your freedom or your vocation or your agency in life, like, what's that thing? And then 
also write down something that's hard. What's the really difficult thing that you're thankful for? What's the really challenging circumstance that you don't want to forget? Put something hard on your list because that hard stuff is, is worth being thankful for. It may help you remember God. It, it may restore your hope-filled faith in God. And it may help you present your request to God in a way that you never even imagined before. You know, there's that thing that people do at weddings where they get something old, new, borrowed blue, and it's kind of this, this thing to help you prepare for the day. This week, as you're leading up to Thursday and whatever sort of gathering you're a part of and whatever sort of celebration you're a part of, think about the things that need to make your list. Not old, new, borrowed, blue, but something historic in your life. Something that's hard in your life. And some long laundry list of humans that have impacted your life that you want to be grateful for. Last week, as a part of the close of our next series, I was able to share that I had done a wedding the day before. And at that wedding, it was a super significant moment because the couple wanted me to include a thing that the grandfather of the bride had given to all of the children and grandchildren. And it was this tiny little handwritten saying in a frame that he put together for them. He said, in happy moments, then he wrote a little dash, and then he said, praise God. You have some happy moments that you can praise God. And then he says, in difficult moments, and then he put a little dash, seek God. Then he wrote quiet moments, and he put a little dash, worship God. Painful moments, and we all got them, put a little dash, trust God. And then he wrote at the very bottom, in every moment, and then he put a little dash, thank God. We want to be a people who thank God and praise God in all circumstances. You know, it's a mark of maturity. No judgment on anybody who's not there yet. When you can move from the compartment plate to the fine china. It's a mark of maturity when you no longer snub your nose at the sweet potatoes that you have up until that point always refused to even try. Hey, I'll give it a whirl. And then you realize it was good from the start. It's a mark of maturity in your life. It's a mark of growth in your life. When the things on your list aren't just the good things, but opportunity and education, but then also what you're doing in their lives as a couple. We pray that they would continue to see and experience the joy that comes from knowing and following. Bola mentioned discipleship, growing up in faith growing to maturity, that they would continue to experience the joy of Jesus in all of those things. And Lord, we do pray for blessings ahead, but we also pray for wisdom to navigate anything that's ahead and to celebrate and give thanks in all circumstances. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray today. Amen. Hey, thank you guys. Applause it. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on a single sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Church Center app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, 
Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in.